Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of Wait a Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me before, you'll know that each week I present a chapter from one of my novels. We've done three seasons so far, one for each of my first three books. If you're joining us in the middle of things, then you might want to go back and start at the beginning, or at least at the beginning of a season. Each book is standalone, but they are all part of the series and flow basically in chronological order. So, on to this week's podcast, in which I'll be reading to you from my novel Night Watch, which is the fourth book in the Devlin O'Quinn series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Night Watch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. And as always, if you'd like to order this or any of my books, click on the link in the podcast info to visit my website, jcbodden.com. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 415, Night Watch. Chapter 15 When they had gotten nearly all the way home, Devlin suddenly turned and looked into the back seat of the car. Reese was sleeping peacefully, his fingers stuck securely in his mouth. Devlin turned back to Elliot. Where's Tracy Lee? She laughed out loud. Well, 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 something Devlin O'Quinn didn't notice? He smiled sheepishly. I guess so. She left with Mac. Devlin nodded and leaned his head against the headrest. Oh, well, that's a good thing, I think. With his eyes closed, he commented. Think they've got a chance? Elliot glanced at her husband and then smiled to herself. Despite that hard cop exterior, he was a romantic to the core. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. How about you? I think Tracy Lee Watson is the only woman in the world that could ever tame little Mac McTaggart. The rain had stopped before they left the cemetery, but the skies remained gray and solemn as Mac and Tracy rode out to the state park. Neither said anything, but the silence wasn't uncomfortable. Mac drove past the entrance, past his house, and the ranger station. Still, no words were exchanged. Tracy had been to the park several times as a teen, but only to the sandy beach that followed along one side of the lake. Mac drove his jeep past the turnoffs for the RV and tent campgrounds, and then the road leading to the cabins. He continued to the end of the paved road and turned onto a rutted dirt road going up a rather steep hill. The jeep bounced and even slipped in the muddy tracks several times, but Mac kept going. At the top of the hill, he killed the engine and stepped out, walking around to Tracy's side and opening the door. He smiled as he took her hand and helped her out. Watch your step now. It's wet and slippery. She let him lead her about thirty yards down a narrow path through a thick grove of pines. Suddenly the trees parted, and in front of them was the park chapel. She stopped and gasped, struck by the beauty of the place. Chapel in the Pines was a simple structure, really no more than an outdoor pavilion, about the size of a basketball court. Its flagstone floor was covered by a steeply pitched roof, supported by columns of stone at each corner. Fifteen rows of pine benches ran the length of the structure, each of these also supported by stones. At the opposite end from where Tracy and Max stood was a stone altar, a rough wooden cross in the center. Beyond the chapel was a dramatic hillside overlooking the lake below. The trees were in their fall best, reds for the sweet gums, deep oranges for the oaks, and yellows for the maples, all set against the still dark greens of the pines. Mac dropped her hand and walked forward, sitting on the bench in front of the altar. 
As Tracy stood there watching, the clouds in the western sky parted, and shimmering rays of sunlight poured through. Droplets of rain still on the leaves caught the light, glittering brightly. Tracy walked quietly to where Mac was sitting and stood at his side. Without turning, he took her hand, gently tugging so that she sat beside him. As they watched the sun warm the lake below, he began to speak, his voice low. You know the other night when you asked about my family? She nodded and he continued, slowly at first, but then gaining speed as he warmed to the story. I didn't tell you about my brother. He was four years younger than me. His name was Matthew Ryan. We called him Matt. The only one of us kids with blonde hair, blue eyes. He got leukemia when he was six and died when he was eight. My father was a good man, just like the chief said. He was a big-hearted person who never knew a stranger and loved to laugh. When I was little, I thought he was perfect. I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. I thought my parents had the perfect marriage. But after Matt died, he paused and rubbed his arm. Tracy remembered his tattoo. Suddenly it made sense. M.R.M. Matt's initials. 1-1-87, his birthday. 10-10-95, the day he died. You don't have to tell me this, Gabriel, Tracy whispered. No, I want to. I want to explain. The other night I said some things, in anger, at the hospital, and I want you to understand. He took a deep breath before he continued. After Matt died, Mom started drinking. At first it seemed to help, actually, but then it got worse, and Dad kind of checked out. You know, stopped being around, mentally at first, and then physically. He would be gone a lot in the evenings, on the weekends. High school was not fun, especially after all my sisters left home, between Mom's drinking and Dad's affair. He stopped and drew another breath. I think that's why I started running around so much. He chuckled, but it was a joyless sound. I guess I did turn out to be just like him, looking for love in all the wrong places. Anyway, at some point along the way, things started to get better. Dad ended the affair, confessed to my mom and us kids. We did the whole family counseling thing. Mom works hard to keep the drinking under control. But Maddie died in October, so every year around this time it's kind of rough. And then Dad got hurt and couldn't work anymore. Well, here lately she's kind of fallen off the wagon. And now he's gone, so she'll have even more reason to stay that way. He leaned forward, his elbows on his knees, his fingers laced together as he stared at his feet. My family fell apart once. I don't know if I can face that again. I was angry at the hospital, and you just happened to be a handy target. I'm so sorry. You didn't deserve that. I hope you can forgive me. Tracy took Mac's confession and turned it over in her mind. Everything that had happened, everything he had said only served to make her love him that much more. She put her hand on his back. Can I tell you my story? she asked with a whisper. Mac turned and studied her face, his elbows still on his knees. He smiled softly. If you want to. My mom is a drug addict. I tell people she got sick and couldn't take care of me, and that's how I ended up at Twin Oaks. And that's kind of true, but she wasn't really sick. It was the drugs, you know. 
The drugs were why she couldn't take care of me. I mean, it wasn't like she... Well, anyway, you know that Twin Oaks, where I grew up, has its own school for us foster kids? Mac had turned to study his feet again. He nodded without looking at her. So, in high school, I fell in love with a boy named Jason. He was a Twin Oaks kid, just like me, a year older. We were going to get married, have a big family, give them the kind of childhood we hadn't had. She stopped, and Mac straightened and looked at her, his face full of questions. She smiled slightly and slipped her hand around his arm before she continued. When he graduated, he enlisted in the Army. I begged him not to. I wanted him to stay in town close to me, but he was determined. I think because he was a foster kid, he felt like he had something to prove, you know, that he belonged, that he could do something important. She stopped and swallowed, then looked out at the rays of the setting sun spiking through the clouds, now glorious shades of red and orange. Max studied her face. She really was beautiful. It was not the kind of beauty that stunned, but a softer, gentler type of beauty. Big brown eyes, a sprinkle of freckles across a delicate nose, peaches and cream complexion, warm, full mouth, quick to smile. Mac realized that this was the kind of face that would be beautiful forever, one that he could look at every day, the kind whose beauty shone from within as much as anything. He felt that shift inside himself again. This time he knew exactly what it meant. He just didn't know what he was going to do about it. The woman he loved was promised to another, to a man serving his country. He almost didn't hear her when she continued. He had just turned 20 when he was killed in Afghanistan. She felt Mac move on the seat beside her and realized he had buried his face in his hands. Tentatively, she put her arm around his shoulder. Hey now, she said quietly, I didn't tell you this to make you sadder or to increase your burden. He felt pain for her, and yet he also felt relief for himself. It made him feel shameful and selfish. He couldn't look at her. Shit, life sucks. Let me finish, she whispered. All he could do was nod. You explained to me, so I'm explaining to you. You said you've been looking for love, but I wasn't looking. I had already found love. Jason was the only man I'd ever been with. And when he was killed four years ago, I thought that was it for me. Done at the ripe old age of 19. I stopped looking. Even tried to stop thinking about it. Now it was her turn to laugh, although she sounded joyous rather than harsh. Then one day I'm at work, and I open the door, and there you are, standing on Uncle Devlin's front porch. And suddenly, in the space of one short conversation, I knew I wasn't done. Love had found me, even though I wasn't looking for it. But I was scared, see? I wasn't sure I could survive it again. That's why I've been pushing you away, Gabriel. Her voice dropped to a whisper. That's why, when you told me at the hospital that we were done, I was so quick to believe you. I didn't know it could be like this. I loved Jason, but not like this. Not like I... You scare the hell out of me. Max stood and stepped away from her before he turned to face her. It was okay. She was free. Free to be his. And she had been the one to speak of love first, the one who knew her feelings long before he knew his. And she was still speaking of love, even now. His mind was jumbled. She watched the emotions flicker over his face. 
She knew she loved him, knew that he knew she did. She wondered if he felt anything close to the same for her. She wasn't sure she could keep breathing. He shoved his hands into his pockets and looked out over the lake before he turned to her again. We're a pair, aren't we? The lump in her throat kept her from saying anything, so she just smiled softly and nodded once. The harder you pushed me away, the more I wanted you, he said with a slow smile, and the more I wanted you, the harder you pushed me away. What do you think we should do about it, she asked, not able to speak above a whisper. She stood and stepped to him. He took both her hands in his and pulled her close. Well, I'm not going to stop wanting you, so I think you need to stop pushing me away. His face broke into his best and sexiest lopsided grin. Devlin and Elliot had invited Jenny and her family out for supper after the service. Devlin smiled to himself as he and Joe stood on the porch, grilling steaks for the adults and hot dogs for the boys. The twins were at the other end of the porch, giggling and swinging in the hammock. Jenny and Elliot were in the kitchen, carting the babies around on their hips while they worked on getting a salad and some veggies ready for the meal. It occurred to him that, while he still had some things that weighed heavily on his mind, he really had a lot to be thankful for. After the kids left for the evening, the kitchen was cleaned and the baby down for the night. Devlin sat on the couch and motioned for Elliot to come and sit beside him. I'm thinking I'll be going back to work full time this week, he began. Okay, if that's the case, then I'll probably do the same. Tracy Lee's set to come out and take care of Reese? Yeah, she'll be here at 8 tomorrow morning. Devlin took a deep breath. The next topic wasn't going to be quite so easy. He decided the direct way would be best. You know this Marcus Little, don't you? He felt Elliot tense on the couch beside him. He knew he was right. He also knew she was deciding what to tell him. He waited. After a moment, she shrugged. Yes. She knew that she couldn't lie to him. Not only was he her husband, but he was a damn good cop. Devlin took her hand in his. Is he a client? This time it took Elliot longer to answer. The whole thing angered her almost more than she could stand. Finally, she spoke. Yes. We're going to have to bring him in tomorrow. I know. You going to come in when we do? Represent him? I don't know what I'm going to do, she said, trying desperately to control the rage in her voice. But I can tell you what I'm not going to do. If that son of a bitch was involved in hurting you, if he was there when it happened... If he even knows the bastard that hurt you, then I'm not going to be his damn attorney anymore. Devlin smiled and patted her hand. Somehow he just couldn't bring himself to tell her about Roger. Not yet. From the chapel, the sunset was spectacular. Mac and Tracy watched the whole show, holding hands and sitting on the front pew. As the sun sunk lower on the horizon... The air grew chilly and Mac took off his suit jacket for Tracy to wear. While the last rays of light still showed the way, he took her hand and led her back down the trail to his jeep. He drove back a different way. After about five minutes of bumpy riding, he slowed and pointed out the window on Tracy's side. Here's the trail to the waterfall. She looked at him, the concern plain on her face. Gabriel, I'm not really dressed for a hike to a waterfall in the dark. He chuckled. Oh, me neither. We'll go another time. You'll love it. He clicked the jeep back in gear and continued down the rutted dirt road. You hungry? I could eat. 
Let's go to town and get something. I don't think I can face going home right now. Okay, whatever you want. Tracy smiled to herself. She would have agreed to do anything as long as he wanted her at his side. At the bottom of the hill, Mac turned his jeep back onto the paved road. This comes out at the cabins, he commented as he gestured with his hand. In the darkness, Tracy could see a group of tidy buildings set in a grove of tall pines surrounding a small amphitheater and fire pit. They look nice. They are. He pulled forward a few feet. There's the one where the chief was attacked. Tracy drew in a sharp breath. The cabin still had yellow crime scene tape staked around it. She leaned forward for a closer look. The police left the lights on? Max stepped on the brake so hard that Tracy had to put her hand on the dash to keep from hitting her head on the windshield. What? he asked sharply, peering out the window. I'll be damned, he muttered. Tracy noticed that his hand went to his hip as if he wanted his gun. What is it? she asked nervously. He didn't answer for a moment, still looking out the window, studying the situation. There was a light shining through the front window of the cabin, another on the side where the bedroom was, although the curtains were drawn. Beside those lights, there was no other sign of anyone there, no car, movement. Finally, he leaned back and glanced at Tracy. Probably nothing, he said with a sigh, but those lights are not supposed to be on. Maybe the police accidentally left them on. Maybe. He scratched his head. I thought I was here the last time they were. I'm sure I turned the lights off. I double-checked. I guess they could be back. They could have been back since then. You had Thursday and Friday off, remember? Yeah, he tapped his index finger on the steering wheel. Then Saturday and today. That's four days I haven't been around. You've been dealing with other things. The police knew that. Maybe they came out here and just didn't want to bother you. You gonna turn them off? Maybe it was Max unconscious reaching for his gun or the fact that it was so dark outside or because that this was the cabin where Devlin had been so viciously beaten, but Tracy desperately hoped that he wouldn't get out of the jeep. She watched him carefully, his golden eyes roaming, considering. When she saw the crease in the middle of his forehead relax, she knew he had made a decision. Nah, I don't have my keys. I'll come out and check it first thing in the morning. He turned to her and grinned. There's one more stop I want to make, and then we'll go get something to eat. Okay, Tracy Lee? Devlin's cell phone rang. He checked the number before he answered. It was Roger Dubose. Where the hell are you? Hey, Devlin. Roger, damn it, where the hell are you? I've been waiting for you to call. How's Mindy? She's okay, considering she's been beat to hell and her husband is missing. But she's not talking to me. She said she wouldn't talk to me until you called. She wants to make sure you're safe. What the hell is going on, Roger? I'm going to explain it all soon, Deb, I swear. It's complicated. But I can't talk right now, okay? Where are you? Um, Devlin, could you just not ask me that? Oh, hell, Rog. I'm sorry, Devlin, really, I am. I'll tell you all of it. Just give me some time, you know? You've got 24 hours. What's that supposed to mean, Dev? Damn it, Roger, the FBI is here breathing down my neck. If you don't come in, tell me all of it, I won't be able to stop what happens next. 24 hours is all our 30-year friendship buys me? Shit, Devlin spat. Don't talk to me like that. You're the one who's apparently sold out our friendship. There was a long pause before Roger said anything. I'm in trouble, Dev. I fucked up. I'm sorry. You've been the best friend I've ever had. I hope someday you'll be able to forgive me. Devlin swallowed. 
What am I going to forgive? I'll talk to you soon, Dev. There was silence. He was gone. Devlin stared at the phone for a long time. He ran his fingers through his hair, trying to make it make sense, trying to figure out how Roger had gotten so deep into trouble, how he could have missed the signs. It didn't work. He would make himself bald before he understood it. He was going to have to get some answers. First thing in the morning, he was going to do what he should have done a week ago. He would find out what was going on, even if he didn't like what he found. Mac put the jeep in gear and drove down the cabin road to the parking lot at the edge of the lake, where he parked and turned off the engine, but left the headlights on. The night air was cool and damp. He turned to Tracy and smiled. You stay here. I don't want you to get cold, but I've got something to do on the beach. She nodded and watched as he stepped out onto the sand in front of the jeep. He leaned against the bumper and slipped off his shoes and socks before he rolled up his pants legs. Then he tucked his hands in his pockets and walked down to the edge of the water. Tracy watched as he strolled to one end of the beach and then turned and headed back toward the other end. When he was even with the jeep, she jumped out and skipped down to him. He smiled at her and took her hand as she slipped off her shoes. Together they walked hand in hand down the beach. The sand was cold, but the water actually felt warm on Tracy's feet. At the other end of the beach, they turned and walked slowly back to the jeep, still holding hands. Mac walked Tracy around to her side and opened the door for her. She stood in front of him, smiling. What? he asked. She said nothing, just slowly shook her head. What? he asked again, his eyes searching her face. I don't want to scare you, she said softly. You won't. Say it. No, I've said it once before. I think I freaked you out. That was before. I won't freak out. Promise. Really? You promise? She couldn't help it. He made her smile. Yeah. Okay. She took a deep breath. I love you. He leaned forward and kissed her tenderly. See? No freaking out. No? No. None whatsoever. Good. She started to climb into the jeep, but he reached in front of her, putting his hand on the seat back, blocking her way. She turned, her eyes searching his. Tell me to say it, he said. Tell you to say it? Yeah, tell me. He nodded encouragingly. She took a sharp breath. Okay, say it. Her voice was barely above a whisper. Now she couldn't smile. Her stomach was in a knot. It took him a moment. Later, she realized that it was not because he was scared or unsure or reluctant in any way. No, it took him a moment because he had never said it before. Ever. I love you. That concludes this week's chapter of Night Watch. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 416 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. And as always, I hope your wait is a happy one.